Well, there's rabbit caught in that sermon. Habakkuk chapter 2. Got a lot of verses to cover today. I hear Bibles flipping. That comforts my heart when I hear your Bibles flipping to Habakkuk chapter 2. That way you know that you're going you're to check me. I say Bible studies and sermons are open book tests. You look there to see if I'm just making this stuff up as I go along or if this is actually following the Word of God. I'm going to actually pray for us first this morning. We'll do a little bit different. We're going to walk through the passage together this morning as we explore it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you today, Lord, my heart's troubled because of this passage. Lord, I know that this passage of Scripture is something we need to hear, but Lord, it's not what we want to hear. Lord, I know that this passage of Scripture is extremely applicable to us today and to our nation However, Father, I know that it is not applicable in the way that we wish it would be. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would teal our souls today so that we would have hearts that are receptive to receive your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is God judging our country? What do you think? Is God judging the United States of America? How many of you by a show of hands would say, yeah, I can say in confidence, Pastor, I believe that God is judging our nation. Okay, come on, come on, keep the hands up, keep the hands up, don't be ashamed. Don't have any shame in your game, come on. Okay, thank you. Why? Why would God be judging our nation? We deserve it, yeah. We'll talk about that. That is the question I've been asked most often over the last 12 months has been this. Pastor, do you believe that God is judging our nation? Pastor, do you believe that God will judge our nation? And the reality is that God is the judge of the entire universe. And so, of course, at some point in time, God is going to judge every single human on the face of the earth that has ever lived and walked and breathed on the face of the earth. And God will judge every nation and every ruler because we know judgment day is coming. Last week, right after the, the conclusion of the service, I'm trying to look to see if this individual's here today, humbled me. They came to me and they said, Pastor, so that passage you preached on today, is it applicable to our lives today? I thought, ouch, I thought I did the whole, that, that, did the whole sermon. <laughs> this passage that we're going to take a look at today is applicable to us today. But I just want to warn you, it's not applicable in the way most of us want it to be. Indulge me just a nerdy moment before we get into the passage. I want you to repeat a word after me. Say, hermeneutic. Very good. Let's say it again, even with more enthusiasm and confidence. The way uh, George said his answer today in the children's sermon. Hermeneutic. Hermeneutic. Very good. What is hermeneutic? 
It is a branch of study that studies interpretation. In other words, how is something applicable today? Here's what I want to present to you before we take a look at this passage of Scripture, that most Christians in the United States of America read the Old Testament with a bad hermeneutic. Most Christians in the United States of America read the Old Testament with a faulty equation that's going on in their mind. Now before I tell it to you, let me say this. Let me give you a disclaimer. I love the United States of America. I love our nation. I love our country. I am grateful that I'm a citizen of the United States of America. Although you may question at some point in today's message whether or not that's true. My wife and I are grateful for every man and woman that serves in our military. We have family members and friends that have served or are currently serving in the military. Grateful for them. But here's the faulty hermeneutic, the bad hermeneutic that a lot of Christians use when they read the Old Testament. They read the nation of Israel and they think it equals the United States of America. That's a bad hermeneutic. That's a faulty hermeneutic. Why? Because the nation of Israel was God's covenant people. And so when you read the Old Testament, you read about Israel. You read about Israel being divided into two nations of Israel and Judah. Whenever you read about Israel and Judah, you need to have in your mind this equation. Israel and Judah equals God's covenant people. And who are God's covenant people today? The church. The church is God's covenant people. The church is God's elect that he's gathering from the four corners of the earth. I can tell we just lost cabin pressure. Do what? When you read the Old Testament, the proper hermeneutic is that when you read about God's covenant people, Israel and Judah, those are the passages that are very, very applicable to Christ's church. And as you read about the other nations in the scriptures, then you can think about how God is going to relate to our nation, the United States of America. Now this passage is very, very comforting for Christians. But it's going to be very, very scary for us as citizens of the United States of America. What happened 21 years ago today? 9-11. Some of you weren't born back then. That's humbling to the rest of us. But every, the rest of us, we remember exactly where we were on 9-11 when we heard about the first plane crashing into the first Twin Tower. We remember where we were when we heard about the second plane crashing into the second Twin Tower. We remember exactly where we were when we heard about the plane crashing into the Pentagon. And the question that was being asked back in September 11, 2001 was this, is God judging our nation? And here's what you need to know. What we're going to read today It's perfectly applicable to our nation. It's perfectly applicable to us today, but probably not in the way that we want it to be. Because the nation of Babylon in the Old Testament was a literal historical nation that God prophesies in this passage, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 through 20. God prophesies to Habakkuk, this nation is going to fall. And it does. In 539 B.C., we read about the the Persians 
conquering Babylon. You can read about it in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1 and following. And throughout all of Scripture, Babylon becomes the catchphrase, the word, for all the other wicked nations. Babylon becomes the caricature of all the other wicked nations. For example, we use caricatures today. Like if you say your son is an evil Knievel, what does that mean? He's a daredevil. If you say, well, that guy, he's a Houdini, what does that mean? He can, he can escape things. If we say that girl's a Jezebel, ooh, don't want her as a daughter-in-law, do you? Well, the same happens with Babylon in the scriptures. When we fast forward to the book of Revelation, we see that Babylon is a caricature of Rome, which is the wicked nation at that time that is persecuting God's covenant people there in the first century. And so Babylon becomes a caricature for every wicked nation that follows in redemptive history. So what's the big idea today? Be comforted, church. Because God is going to judge every wicked nation on the face of the earth. How do we know? Because God is sovereign, he's in control, and he's just. But here's the bad news. Sometimes God's covenant people, his elect, reside within the wicked nation that God punishes. Now I hope and pray that you never live to see this day and I hope and pray that I never live to see this day. But I'm going to stand before God Almighty someday and I'm going to have to give account for every word that utters out of my mouth from this pulpit. And so I want you to be ready in case you have to live to see this day. If the United States of America ceases to exist, the kingdom of God will endure. Thank you. I got one amen. I told you that as you take a look at the backdrop of history throughout the scriptures, what you see is that there's always a bigger fish. You see that in the Old Testament, there's the nation of Egypt. That's the most powerful nation in the world at that time. But what happens? God conquers it. We see that Assyria becomes the most powerful nation in the history of the world. And then Babylon conquers Assyria. Then we now see that Babylon is the most powerful nation in the world and the Persians are going to conquer it. Eventually the, the Persians will be conquered by Greece. Greece will be conquered by Rome. Rome will be conquered later on. And how have we prided ourselves in this nation as the most powerful nation in the history of the world? But here's what we need to know according to the scriptures. There is only one kingdom that endures. Do you know what that kingdom is? The kingdom of God. There's always a bigger fish when it comes to the nations in the history of the world. But there's no bigger fish in the history of the world than God. And so what follows in Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 6 through 20 are five woes. It's a taunt song. And I believe it, it highlights for us. Several reasons why we deserve God's judgment as a nation. So I want us to unpack this passage of scripture together as we highlight the reasons why I believe, unfortunately, we deserve God's judgment as a nation. The first reason is because we're greedy. 
Look at verse 6 of chapter 2. The prophet Habakkuk prophesies, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads, them, loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities, and all who dwell in them. What's the first reason why we deserve God's punishment and God's judgment as a nation? We are a greedy nation. We are greedy. This whole passage of scripture is a taunt song. Five times you're going to see the word woe. And it's not like woe is me, like I got to mow the grass today, or woe is me, I need to finish my homework. No, woe was a taunting, mocking word. It was, it was a, a lament about someone who had died. And so what one commentator said is that as these woes are pronounced against Babylon, as if God is saying to, to Habakkuk, don't worry about Babylon. They're as good as dead, and here are the reasons why. Well, some of you have commented about my new tie. I appreciate that. I've only been wearing it for three weeks. Thank you for being observant. I appreciate that. love you anyway. But this book of Habakkuk is about the fact that Habakkuk has questions. That's why there's a question-themed tie. The first question Habakkuk has to God is this. Why are you allowing your covenant people, your church, to live so wicked and immoral? Why aren't you punishing them? Why aren't you disciplining them? And then remember, God comes to Habakkuk and says, don't worry about it. I'm going to punish my people, and I'm going to use this wicked nation of Babylon to punish them. Remember I said the exegetical tires screech to a stop? And Habakkuk said, do what, God? You're going to use a nation far more wicked than your people to punish them? And then this passage follows, and God says, yeah, I am, but don't worry. I'm going to punish the Babylonians as well. And here's the reason why. They're greedy. They have brutally taken from other people. They've plundered them, and they have caused these other nations, just like Israel and Judah, to have to pay pledges and tribute to us. Basically, it's, it's like stealing and bullying someone's milk money from them, is what they did on, on, on the national scale back then. Babylon's king was bullying Judah for its milk money, essentially. And he goes on to say, but there's going to be a reciprocal of judgment on them. The one that plundered them, the, the Babylon, the ones that they plundered, eventually will plunder them. Because judgment day is coming for Babylon in 539 B.C. What's the point for me and you? I love our nation. But I'm fearful that we're already experiencing God's judgment. Why? Because we're greedy. I won't pick on Floridians. I'll pick on those of us that are from West Virginia. West Virginia is a very, very poor state. But I have a friend who is making killer money in the state of West Virginia. Do you know why? He's opening storage units all over the state. And I said, 
what do we have to store in West Virginia? And he just said, stuff. Right? It happens to all of us. My wife will get on to me. My wife will go out in the stores here in Bartow and she'll say, I saw this mug that I needed, a coffee mug. I'm like, you wanted it or needed it? I need. We have a need for greed. I'll hear about that later. I'll sleep on the couch tonight. (laughs) Are we a nation that deserves God's judgment? I believe so because we're greedy. Do you know half the world lives on $2,000 a year? I hesitate to say that as we head into uh, talking about raises this year, right? 41% of the world's millionaires are Americans. We live in a very wealthy nation. And as God's covenant people living in a nation that's very greedy and very wealthy, what should our mindset be? God's going to judge us someday. God's going to get the laughs laughed. Why? Because God is sovereign. He's in control. God is just. But our mindset needs to be the mindset of the Apostle Paul when he says, I count everything as a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Friends, don't be greedy. Be focused on Jesus. Second reason I think that we are in fear of God's judgment is not only because we're greedy, but because we are, we live with a false security. We live with a false security that we're invincible. The second woe comes in verses 9 through 11. And there's a, there's a play on words going on here between house and dynasty that I want you to pick up on. The, the Babylonians tried to build a, a, a city that was invincible. They had a wall that, that literally could withstand a four-horse chariot going around the upper top of the city. So listen, think about that as you read verses 9 through 11 with me. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. To set his nest on high. In other words, the Babylonian king tried to establish a kingdom like setting an eagle's nest way up in the trees where no one can access them. No one could reach them. To be safe from the reach of harm. Verse 10. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. Do you know what the Babylonians are known for in terms of redemptive history? That when they conquered the nation of Judah, they sent God's people of Judah into exile. And so they continued the Assyrian practice of deporting people from their homeland to get them totally disheveled so that they would be disoriented. In other words, so the Babylonians would be convinced that those people could never rise up in arms against them. Why? Because they were exiled to a foreign land. They were refugees. And then he says in verse 11, For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond, personifying the building that the Babylonians had, that the wood is crying out to the stone, the stone is responding to the wood, 
they stole us for their goods. We are a nation that lives with false security because we feel as if we can't be touched. And I don't know if you vote Republican, Democrat, Independent. I don't care because I'm going to offend every single one of you today. Because regardless of whether or not you vote red, blue, or whatever the other color is, here's the reality. Every single one of those senators makes the same salary, $174,000 a year, but they all somehow retire millionaires. How is that? There's unjust gain. There's insider knowledge. There's inside trading. I had a friend tell me the other day, he said, you know, Tanner, it's gotten to the point where I don't think it's about cheating on your taxes anymore. I think it's about just trying to, trying to rightfully retain what the government's trying to steal from you. Like, well, that's one way to justify it. What's the point? We live in a nation that lives with false security because we have a lot of unjust gain going on in the world. God will judge our nation someday for our false security and our finances. But as the God's covenant people is the church, how should we be comforted? We should be comforted because we know that in the end... God's going to get the last laugh because he's sovereign, he's in control, he's just, he's going to judge the wicked of this nation and every nation. But we know where our security stands and sits. It sits with Christ. As the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says, that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms with all the heavenly riches that Christ offers us. How are you wealthy? How are you secure? You're in Christ, friends. That's what makes you wealthy. What's the third way that I believe that we are in fear of getting judged as a nation? We are a violent nation. Look at the woe against Babylon in verses 12 through 14. It says, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. In other words, a picture of the brutal, violent attacks that Babylon had. Behold, verse 13, is it not from the Lord of hosts, in other words, the sovereign God of all of creation, that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? In other words, they try to amass all this great wealth. They try to prove themselves to be invincible. What happens at the end of the day? What happened to Queen Elizabeth II this week? No matter how wealthy or powerful or or well-known you are, eventually you die. You cease to exist. So what God is saying to Habakkuk about wicked nations, particularly the wicked nation of Babylon and every wicked nation that follows, is that they will be judged for their violence. And he says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. You could look at me today and say, Tanner, we're not a violent nation. I know about some of the practices of our military when they go into foreign nations and, and how they try to honor those folks and those prisoners of war. That's to be applauded. In that regard, I'm not, I'm not picking on us as a nation. But here's how I'd say we are violent. Sixty-one percent of the adults in the United States of America 
are in favor of abortion. During COVID, I had just recovered from COVID. Jennifer was uh, suffering with COVID, and I had to go get her a prescription at one of the local pharmacies. Almost got tackled for not having a mask on, even though I'd just gotten over COVID. That's okay. I went up to the pharmacy, and I was craving some chewing gum. And I looked down to the part where there used to be chewing gum and mints right underneath the pharmacy there. Do you know what's there now? The morning after pill. Where there used to be big red chewing gum, where there used to be Reese's peanut butter cups, there's now a morning after pill. Do you think God's going to judge this nation? Absolutely. Why? Because we're violent. And I feel weak and feeble to even say that to you because I'm just a five foot four, short, fat, white guy from, I'm trailer park trash from Mercer County, West Virginia. We didn't have a good, you're all the city of champions. I don't know that we ever had a winning football team. That's how pathetic we are. But the scriptures say that the word of God endures forever. So Tanner's going to come and go. But this word is going to endure. And this nation will be judged by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Why? Because God's going to get the last laugh. Because God is sovereign. He's in control. And he's just. What's the fourth reason I think our nation is in danger of being judged? We're perverted. Look at verses 15 through 17. It says, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. They're going to notice a theme of consumption of alcohol here, and there's a consumption of resources too. If you skip down to verse 17, it says, The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrify them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, the cities and all who dwell in them. Babylon had raped and pillaged the land of Lebanon that was known for its beautiful trees. And the reason that Babylon raped that land is because they took the trees and they used them for the building campaigns for Nebuchadnezzar's palace and all of their cities. But they were perverted in that not only did they indulge in drunkenness and excess, but they were, they were consistently engaging in sexual immorality. Now, one commentator, I don't know if he's on base with this or not, but O. Palmer Robertson, a lot smarter guy than I am, is convinced that some of these passages perhaps even hint to homosexual acts that would have been performed in Babylon. They're a perverted nation. And once again, there's this reciprocal Turn of judgment upon Babylon. In verse 16 it says, You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. In other words, that you're not God's covenant people. For the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. What's the point? The point is that Babylon is not God's covenant people. And there's a cup of wrath to be poured out upon them. 
And God's going to make them drink from the wrath in the cup of his fury. Are we a perverted nation? Yeah, we are. It's 2022. I was not raised in a Christian home. Many of you know that. Many of you all know my dad's testimony. I'm going to tell you a story, the true story about my dad that was before he came to faith in Jesus Christ. I know I'm going past time, but it's a good sermon, so stay with me. He who toots his own horn will have his own horn tooted, right? As long as I'm faithful word of God, it should be a good sermon, okay? True story from my dad. My dad was not a believer for most of his life. He ran around with uh, motorcycle gangs. My dad's best friend at one time owned a strip club that was near our house. And so it was nothing for my dad to spend time at the strip club on a regular basis. Now this is like late 90s. Uh, nearing 2000. I was in college at that time, showing my age. But I was near uh, college, I was in college at that time, and I remember my dad was frequenting the strip club that his best friend was managing. And I was up late one night, up all night one night, writing a research paper. My dad rolled into the house about 7 a.m. Normally that was not a good thing. That meant he'd been out all night long partying. But I remember he came to me, he looked tired, and he looked me in the face. This is about 1998, 1999, and, and he rocked my world. He said, son, you're going to be so proud of me for what I did last night. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, I rescued a girl. I was like, you rescued a girl? He's like, yeah. He offered to take one of the strippers out on a date that previous night. In the course of that date, he discovered that she was about 15, 16 years of age. And that she was being held against her will. My dad, at that point, stopped the date, asked her where she was from, told her to get in the car with him, and he drove all night from West Virginia down to a southern state I won't name. And he said he watched as that girl made her way to the front door, knocked on the door, and my dad said he'll never forget, he told me he would never forget the sight of that mother as tears flowed from her cheeks as she embraced her daughter in her arms. It was sex trafficking. First time I'd ever heard of it. I'll show you how my dad rolled. He knew his best friend would be on to him. So my dad called the police, called the FBI, and the next time he went to the strip club, he rolled up in there with his FBI hat on. True story. About six months to a year later, do you know what happened in the little town of Princeton, West Virginia? A drug sting occurred that discovered that there was a sex trafficking cell in a little town of Princeton, West Virginia. We are a perverted nation. And we deserve God's wrath. And we need to repent. You fast forward to the book of Revelation. God says that he's going to pour out his wrath upon every wicked nation. What is the only hope that you have? What is the only hope that I have? Is if we come to Christ in repentance today, bend our knee before him. And allow him to take the cup of wrath in our place. That's the only hope we have.
Why? Because God's going to get the last laugh. Why? Because God is sovereign, he's just, he's in control, and he will judge every wicked person and every wicked nation apart from Christ. Jesus said this to Peter, Put your sword in its sheath, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Do you know what the last cup of the Lord's, of the Passover was that Jesus drank, that we remember, remind ourselves of every time we take the Lord's Supper? It's the cup of God's It was the cup that pictured the angel of death coming through Egypt on that night. And the only people that were protected were those that were living, residing in a house that was covered by the blood of the spotless lamb on the threshold of the door. These words are comforting for those of us that are in Christ. Because regardless of whether or not God judges this nation in our time or not, the church of God will endure whether or not the nation that we live in continues. What's the fifth reason why I'm fearful we deserve God's judgment? And you'll see it in verses 18 through 20. It has to deal with we are idolatrous. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, arise! Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath at all in it. Don't miss the humorous picture here. A guy carves an idol out of wood, and then he pokes on it and goes, Hey man, wake up. It does nothing. He, he pours a, a metal image and he says, hey man, stand up. It does nothing. Why? Because it's worthless. Now you'll look at me and you'll say, Tanner, I thank God that we're not an idolatrous nation like that. Oh, we're not? I love the National Football League. After the new members class tonight, we're going to be done by 7. You know why? Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing God's favorite football team, the Dallas Cowboys, at 820. But look at the salaries of those NFL players. Look at the cost of those stadiums. And if you think we've got justice in this nation... There are men that have put on cleats, that have caught a football, ran with a football, and thrown a football. That if they had not been wearing cleats, throwing a football, running a football, or catching a football, guess what? They would have spent a life in prison. Am I right? Or am I right? We are a wicked nation. And we are full of idols. All you got to do is go down to any major city and see the monuments that we have built to our idols. And what we need to do now is come before the holy God in this place and be in awe of Him so that we don't have to live in fear of Him. That's how 
Habakkuk's vision ends in verse 20. But the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-making, the covenant-keeping God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Who gets the last laugh? It's God. Because he's sovereign and he's just. John Lennon said, when he was asked, how big are you? Do you know what he said? The Beatles are bigger than Jesus. I don't think so, bro. I don't think so. Who do you think got the last laugh on that one? Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that it's appointed for every man once to die, and then after that comes judgment. Father, we want to be prepared for that, that judgment day because your son has bore our sins. We do not want to carry that weight ourselves. And we know that your son is going to appear a second time. Really, he's going to come. Physically, he's going to come. But your word says that you will not deal with sin, but to those, to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for our greediness, our false sense of security, our violent ways, our pervertedness, our sexual immorality, our idolatrous ways. And our arrogance. And you tell us if we will deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow you. That that's the way of life and hope. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.